Our scripture reading today comes from Luke 8, 26 through 39. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time, he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said in a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then the people went out to see what had happened, and they came to see Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. They were afraid, and those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed, and then all the people of the surrounding country of the Duranases asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, Misty and I and our four kids have suddenly found we have some extra time on our hands. And I don't know if, if you've ever tried to quarantine three boys under the age of eight, but that's, that's complicated. And so we had to, uh, we've had to pull out the big guns uh, to get through this, uh, which of course would mean uh, reading a story about four kids who were forcibly quarantined one day, although in their case it was for rain. Uh, and that's the story, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It's an incredible story about a little girl named Lucy who goes into a wardrobe and stumbles into a completely new world, Narnia. In Narnia, there's a white witch, and the white witch is destroying Narnia. She's turned people into to stone. She has the Narnians under the, the rule of her oppression, and it's so bad, it's, uh, Narnia is described as being winter, but never Christmas, or what I call February. It's a bad moment, and things are bleak, but as you enter into the world, one of my favorite characters, Mr. Beaver, he begins to inject hope, and he names this character Aslan. And he says, Aslan is on the move. Perhaps he's already landed. And I don't know if it's the, the quarantine uh, speaking or the spirit of God or some combination of the two, but Luke 8 is 
like Narnia. And maybe you're reading the story right now. Uh, I know some kids in Shawnee are reading it. Probably kids across our campuses are reading this story right now. But as I read this story, I want nothing more than to climb into a wardrobe (laughs) and get to Narnia. And this morning, that's what we're going to do. Because Luke 8, there is, there's a white witch. I mean, not literally, but there's an enemy who is, is holding our world under his thumb in oppression. And there's an Aslan. And he's on the move. And he might already have landed. And so as we jump into this story, where we want to start is that, that there's a white witch. The hard part, the difficult part. Our world is in chains. So the beginning of this story, Luke uh, presents Jesus as having crossed the Sea of Galilee and gone to a new place, to this country of the Gerasenes. And when he he gets out of the boats and enters into this place, he's greeted by a man. And this man is not doing well. And what we know about this man is a few things. They're all disturbing. Uh, One is that he lives in a cemetery. Two is that he is not wearing clothes and has not worn clothes for some time. Three is that the people in his community are so disturbed and frightened by this man, they keep going after him and getting him with chains and chaining him up to things so that he can't get out. And the fourth thing, this is the most disturbing, is that even though like this whole community chains him in place, he still has the strength to break out of the chains and get free somehow. And he keeps wandering off into the desert. This is a weird guy, essentially. And, and so imagine this. Imagine you are, you go to the cemetery and you're, you're visiting the grave, someone you love, it's very dear to you, and and you're laying flowers at their grave, you're imagining how important they are, how significant they are, what they've meant to you, and as you're laying the flowers down at their grave, uh, a man runs past you, he grabs the flowers, and as he runs past you, you notice he's not wearing anything but some chains that are dragging behind his legs, and he runs off to a makeshift tent at the edge of of the cemetery where it's clear he's been living. My guess is you're not going to engage that man. Well, Jesus engaged that man. And when he engages this man, he asks him, what's your name? And the man says back to him, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And the word legion, this could be as many as as 5,000. We're not sure, but it's a lot of demons have entered this man, and, and immediately, you know, we're weirded out, right? This is, this is very strange to us, as if a naked guy living in a cemetery wasn't weird enough. Now he's possessed by demons. And I, I think we struggle with this for, for a couple of reasons. One is, is that we just struggle with the supernatural in general, right? We think we have our world entirely figured out. We have microscopes. We have mother, weathermen who can predict the patterns of the wind. We think we know a lot. We're, we, we are so brilliant that uh, if a virus was to, to enter into our world, we would have all the means necessary to stop it in its tracks. Or maybe not. Maybe we're not as smart as we think. Maybe there's, there's things about this world we don't know. And our, our initial rejection of this idea of demon possession maybe is, is a sign actually of our misunderstanding, not of our understanding. But I think there's a bigger reason why we struggle with this, this theme of, of demon possession. And that is we live in a culture that rejects anything that suggests we are not in control. And nothing <laughs> suggests more that we are not in control than the idea that there are forces out there that could possess us, take hold of us, that have supernatural power attached to them. This is sort of frightening, and yet Luke is saying, this is our reality. And Fleming Rutledge, she talks about this. She says, when we read the Bible, we tend to think that there are only two forces at play in the scriptures, 
God and human beings. Right? And, and I'm, I, in other words, like I have free will. Like I can, I can direct my own future. I'm in control. And either I can choose God or I cannot choose God, but I'm free to decide for myself. And Fleming Rutledge, who is an author and a pastor, she said, no. The Bible makes clear there are three actors in play. God, human beings, and the powers. God, human beings, and the powers. Here's what, here's what she writes. She says, talks about the Apostle Paul talking about this theme. Paul's preferred way of identifying the occup- occupying enemy in, is in its various manifestations as sin, death, and the law, or alternatively as principalities and powers, as lords, as thrones, as authorities, and other designations. In one of Paul's most striking passages, these powers are called the rulers of this age. The rulers of this age. Which makes sense if you remember uh, back in what seems like another lifetime ago in Luke 4 when we were in the temptation narrative. And Satan is tempting Jesus. He says to Jesus, hey listen, here are all the kingdoms of the world. I'll give them to you if you worship me. That it's clear in some way Satan does have authority in this world. We're not sure what that means or what that looks like. But it's clear he has authority and power. That as Fleming Rutledge says, there are three powers at work in the world. The Bible describes our world not as a neutral territory, but as enemy-occupied territory. And when Jesus crosses this lake and steps on to this land, he is entering and invading enemy territory. There are powers in this world that we are not in control of. And if anything, the last few weeks has, has laid that bare for me. And I think it's a lesson worth learning in this moment. It's a lesson most churches have, or the most of the church has taken for granted, has, has assumed through much, much of history. The 1928 Episcopal Book of Prayer, uh, the prayer that's for the entire church, this is what it is. This is what, what they, they wrote. This is a prayer to God. We beseech thee, we, bes- we ask God so to direct, sanctify, and govern us in our work as a church by the mighty power of the Holy Ghost that the comfortable gospel of Christ may truly be preached, truly received, truly followed. Here's why. To the breaking down of the kingdom of sin, Satan, and death. We pray that the church would break down the kingdom of sin, Satan and death. This is what every kid already knows. There is a white witch who has our world in a winter. It's not Christmas. Our world is in chains. And for most of our history, this condition of humanity has been, has been obvious. We're frail. We're not in control. We're exposed. And yet our culture rejects this idea of us not being in control. And we're in a moment when our mortality, our frailty, our lack of control, our chains are being revealed to us. We're not in power. (laughs) We're not in control in the way that we thought we were. An unseen virus from thousands of miles away has completely changed our entire world in a matter of weeks. 
And as I prayed for you this morning, as I think about the, the small business owners who are thinking about meeting payroll this week, as I think about the vulnerable members of our church family who are more at risk to this virus, as I think about just the health of our, our community and our cultures, I think about the fact I'm preaching to an empty room right now, I'm not gathering with the people I love, whom I miss dearly. As I think about all that and I pray for this moment to end, I, re- I recognize I am up against an enemy I cannot defeat. And my own weakness, my own vulnerability, my own frailty has been laid bare for what it is. Our world is in chains. We are not free in the way that we think that we are. There is a white witch. And yet, there's an Aslan who's on the move, and he might already have landed. That's point two. Right, Jesus, he's crossed the lake. He's, he's gone into this country of the Gerasenes. And that, that's important because what's, Luke wants us to, to notice that Jesus is actually going somewhere new for the first time. That all of uh, his ministry up until this point has been done in Israel. But now Jesus has crossed the Sea of Galilee to go into the land of the Gentiles to the country of the Gerasenes. And that's why there, there are pig farmers here that uh, Jewish people considered pigs unclean. They would not have been pig farmers. So, so Luke wants you to notice, listen, Jesus has gone into new territory because no Jewish farmer would uh, farm pigs. It's sort of like uh, we live in Kansas City. Just imagine like if you were a t-shirt uh, maker, if you uh, owned a company that made t-shirts, uh, you would not make Oakland Raider t-shirts because that would make you unclean. That would make you unfit to live in the city. So this is a very similar thing. We know we're in a, a Gentile country because there are pigs presence. And so as Jesus enters into this this new territory, this enemy territory, it's sort of like in World War II when the, the troops landed on the beach of Normandy and immediately the German guns were trained on them. Jesus crosses into Gentile territory. He steps out onto the land and immediately the demons come to him. They come to attack him. And maybe you're seeing the thing, you know, like Tim, like virus, pandemic, we really didn't need a, a sermon on demonic uh, realities. This is really not encouraging. Uh, and that's probably because you're thinking of demons in terms of how Hollywood depicts demons, which is anytime like there's a Hollywood uh, movie, TV show, or, like right now on HBO, one of the top shows, The Outsiders, anytime there's like sort of supernatural evil, they're depicted as, as uncontrollable, as, as incredibly powerful, as no one can get a hold of them. But that's not how the demons are depicted in this story at all. In fact, they're, they're, actually, they're actually kind of pathetic. All right, so Jesus, he steps into the land. The demons come right to him. They understand what Jesus is up to. He's taking ground. They, under, they know what's happening. So they approach him, and they say to Jesus, and this is just pathetic. Like, it's just sad when you, when you hear what they're saying to him. What have you do to do with me, Jesus, son of uh, the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Right, they're pleading, they're begging, and then they, they don't want Jesus to send them into the abyss to like, destroy them forever. So they say, hey, listen, can we go live it up in some pigs for a while so that you don't destroy us? I mean, this, this is not a, these are not forces to be afraid of in any way, shape, or, or form. They're, they're, they're pathetic, they're powerless, they're helpless next to, to Jesus who is invaded into enemy territory. And that's good news. Because when Jesus sends them into the pigs, we now see this man is completely free. And you see this. Uh, Luke wants to paint a picture very intentionally of, of how he's changed. In verse 27, we read that the man had demons, right? He had legion of demons. And then we read in verse 35, he was a man now from whom the demons had gone. In verse 27, it was a long time since he had worn clothes. And then in verse 35, he's clothed and in his right mind. 
In verse 27, he's living among the tombs, but the last word Jesus will speak to him is go back home. Return to your home. And then my favorite, he falls down in front of Jesus, demons crying out through him. But then we see him at the end of the story, sitting at the feet of Jesus as his disciple. Learning and being taught by the Son of Man. This is an incredible picture of the power of Jesus. That Jesus crosses a lake, steps foot onto enemy territory. The demons come up to him completely afraid. And just with his voice, Jesus takes out a town of demons. Just with his voice. And this is building on the story that comes before it. When the disciples and Jesus were crossing the lake, a storm came up, which was, uh, was terrifying to the disciples. Waves high, the, the storm crashing in on them. They, they wake Jesus up saying, Jesus, we're going to die. Look at the storm. And Jesus, with his voice, calms the storm. And in these back-to-back stories, you get a, a picture of the incredible, uncontrollable, unlimited power of Jesus who can, can control storms with his voice and take out a town of demons with his voice. That is the power of Jesus at work. And yet, this is, to me, where the story uh, gets, it gets interesting. I mean, it's already been interesting, hopefully, uh, but it's just where it gets really interesting because there's two responses to this power of Jesus. No one debates this incredible power of Jesus. Everyone in the town is in agreement. Jesus is a man of great power for what he's done to this, this demoniac. But there's two responses to the power of Jesus. The first is, is one of fear, where the town says, leave me. This is what happens after the word gets out about what Jesus has done. Then people went out to see what had happened. And they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. They see the incredible power of Jesus and they say, leave, get away. And one of my, my own struggles in faith is, is reading through the gospels and seeing Jesus' uncontested power. There's no question, he can heal any disease, he can take out any demon, he can, he can give the right word at any moment, and then you look around at a world and it's, it's a world full of disease, right? A virus, it's full of suffering, it's full of pain. And I wonder like, why, why Jesus? Why not use your voice to this? And yet what this story reminds me is even if I saw an, an, a completely clear picture of the power of God, it doesn't mean I'll respond in faith. These people see the power of Jesus, and their response is fear. And I wondered why. What are they afraid of? Right? What are we afraid of? <laughs> what are they afraid of? And thinking through that, I even wonder, like, what, what is the command Jesus most often gives in the Gospels as he's teaching? What's the command he most often gives? Have you ever wondered about that? 
I was wondering about that this week, and I, and I you know, sort of lay this out with my kids. I went to them and said, hey, how, like, when I command you, what's the commands I give to you most often? What are the things you hear most? What, are, what do we tell you to obey uh, the most often? And the three answers uh, that they gave uh, me were uh, stop yelling, get out of my sister's face, and stop biting people. So uh, quarantine's going really well at the Spanberg house so far. But that, those are, that's my commands to my sons. But you know what Jesus commands to his people is to his disciples? The, the thing he commands us most is do not fear. Why? And why are the people in this town so afraid of Jesus when he's just taken a man whose life was ruined and freed him? What are they afraid of? And I think I, think I know the best answer to this. This is, this is my best read of this. Um, and that is, it has to do with the pigs and the pigs who get filled up with demons and they run off the lake. And I've always wondered, what's the deal with that? Like, why did Jesus send them into the, why do they want to go into the pigs? Why do the pigs run off the lake? And uh, our pastoral resident in Shawnee, Joseph, uh, he was really helpful in this. As we were talking through this passage, he pointed out, you know, demons, uh, all they want to do is destroy. And so now that Jesus has said, listen, you can't destroy this man anymore. You're out, right? I'm taking you out. Uh, they said, okay, we're going to go to the pigs and said, we're going to destroy them. And what's important about that, I think, is that this is, this is their economy. This is the way that they made money. This was an important part of the city's infrastructure. And so the demons want to go not just to kill some pigs, but to, to destroy a community's economy, to, to inject unrest into the community. And so when the, the town comes out to Jesus to meet him and to speak to him and to ask him to, to, why they're so afraid of him is Jesus just showed up into the community and wrecked everything that was going on wrecked the way that their life was running. And instead of, instead of focusing in on the fact that Jesus has just freed this man, instead of being angry that they had a, like, a bunch of demons in their town, they're more angry that Jesus had ruined their way of life. And I, like, I just wonder, are we, are we in a similar moment? Listen, if God is, if he is sovereign, and I, I believe he is, at the very least, we can say God has disrupted our way of life in this moment. He has greatly disrupted our way of life in this moment. And it, it'd be so easy for us to say, you know what, Jesus, I, just give me my life back. Just give me, give, me, give me certainty. Give me security. And miss the moment to really tap into to all of our worries, all of our fears, all our anxieties, how they, they unveil the scaffolding of our lives. That maybe, maybe my life wasn't totally built only on faith in Jesus, and it was built on other things. And those things have fallen out now, and all that's left is Jesus. And I'm, I have to wrestle with, am I afraid of the things that have fallen away, or can I, can I leave that fear behind and bring it to Jesus and say, okay, the, the pigs are dead. I don't want them back. Let me come with you. Let me, what are you doing? What's happening? And I hope that doesn't sound as, like, as a naive, optimistic way of, of viewing this, this moment. And listen, the last, the last couple of weeks, I've thought more than once about how the fact like we as a church decided to embark on building two buildings, and now that's happened right in the middle of a global pandemic and an economic shakedown. I can promise you this. In all of our praying and planning, we never considered the possibility of a global pandemic happening in the midst of these buildings. And listen, it'd be easy to sit back in fear and say, gosh, what's going to happen? Where are we going? Or it could, it could be possible <laughs> to see this moment as God is shaking up something loose to get people to potentially, potentially open them, themselves back up to him. 
that in the middle of a pandemic, we're actually building two buildings to, to awaken and to welcome what God might be doing in renewing his church and his, his people in Kansas City. What are you afraid of? Take it to Jesus. Don't stuff those feelings. Don't deny those feelings. Don't hide from those feelings. Take them to Jesus. Don't ask him to leave you. Don't be afraid of his power, as threatening as it may be. That's one response to Jesus in this moment. The second response is faith. Right? Fear says uh, to Jesus, leave me alone. Faith says, says, have me. And it's, it's sort of... It, it might be easy to read the end of this story as, as a sad one because the man, as Jesus is leaving on the boat, goes up to Jesus and says, let me come with you. I want to be your disciple. I want to follow you. I want to be one of your, your people. And Jesus says to the man, he says, no. Instead, he says to the man, uh, listen, you can't be my disciple, but I want you to return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. Listen, this might be a little bit of reading into the text, but I, I just kind of want to make that verse, our verse as a church this week, that we as a church would return home and declare all that God has done for us. Listen, the first part of the command, you already have to obey, like by the state. The state is saying, return to your home, stay there. I want us to obey the second part of the command, which is for us to declare all that God has done for us. And so if you're, listen, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who is following Jesus, use this moment to point people to Jesus. That this man who, uh, who was living in a cemetery has become the first missionary to the Gentiles. Right? This is the first commissioned person to preach the gospel to the Gentiles in Luke. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, you're saved, you're free. Now he commissions him to go out and share the gospel. So if you are a Christian, if you're a part of our church community, make this verse your call this week. Return to your home and declare all that God has done for you. That we're in a moment where maybe, maybe people might actually be open to the gospel in a way they haven't been. That's, uh, listen, sharing the gospel is incredibly difficult in our, our day. I read a book uh, a few months ago called Reappearing Church by Mark Sayers. And in the book, he just points out, listen, in the Western world, we are, so, we are so fat and happy that we, just thinking about deep things or about God, just we don't have time. We, we've got our lattes, we've got our Netflix queue, we've got uh, our vocations, which we can, can kind of tailor make to our, ourselves. We have, we have it so good, we're not asking deep questions. But I revisited that book this week. And here's what he wrote about the, 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 how fragile that, that, that reality is, that, that the fact that we don't really take God seriously could just come crumbling underneath us very quickly. Here's what Mark Sayers wrote. It's a book I read several months ago. Here's what he wrote. The secular script in which human, human beings attempt to live without having to confront the great questions of life creates an insulation against faith, right? It makes faith difficult. However, this insulation is not as secure as it may seem. If we suffered a global flu pandemic, like the one in the early part of the 20th centuries that killed millions of people across the world, how we view and process our personal potentials and possibilities would be deeply shaken. We are deeply shaken. And in this moment of uncertainty, 
of shakenness, of questions, of people worried and concerned and full of fear. Preach the gospel. In text messages, in phone calls, on social media. Call your friends up, ask them how they're doing. And the moment they ask you how they're doing, that's an open door to talk about Jesus. I'm processing my fears, my anxieties through this person named Jesus who went on a cross for me, who died for me, who has all of my fears in his own hand, who by the power of his voice can wipe out a storm and could take out a town of demons. Jesus is not limited in any way, shape, or preach the gospel. And listen, if you're sitting there like, listen, I'm I'm not really equipped for that. I'm not really eloquent. That's probably not my skill set. No. Stop. Demon-possessed guy living in a cemetery and naked became the first missionary to the Gentiles. So if that, listen, if you're not naked or living in a cemetery, or if only one of those things is true of you, you are more qualified than that guy who Jesus commissioned as missionary one to the Gentiles. You are equipped, you are qualified. Go and preach the gospel. Return to your home and declare all that God has done for you. This is a moment to do that. Do not miss it. Preach the gospel. And if you're not a, if you're not a Christian, this is a, this is a moment to, to become one. <laughs> to put your faith in, in Jesus. Today is, is Palm Sunday. It's today when we Christians celebrate the fact that Jesus got onto a donkey and, and went into Jerusalem and as he went into Jerusalem, people, people cheered him like he was a conquering king, like he was going to kick out Rome of the day and uh, their own, kind of their own white witch of the day. They were going to kick out Rome and he was going to become king of Israel and let Israel live in freedom. But Jesus had so much more in mind than just this nation called Israel to have a king and have its freedom. And he had so much more in mind than that. He had you in mind. He had me in mind. And so when he got on that donkey to go into Jerusalem, he was not just going to be, to be crowned a king of Israel. He was, he was going to be crowned king. <laughs> and Fleming Rutledge, she writes about Jesus entering into Jerusalem in this moment. She says, Jesus is preparing to enter the lists, not only as the utterly undefended commander of the Lord's hosts, but also as the one who will stand alone on the front line in our place. Absorbing the full onslaught of sin, death, and the devil. And that's how the line, the witch, and the wardrobe ends. And I won't, I won't spoil it. But Aslan, this powerful lion, goes to the white witch undefended by himself. And Jesus, our, our true Aslan, he went into the beast undefended, to defeat sin and death and the devil itself. That Jesus, who took out a town of demons with his own word, allowed demons to take him. That Jesus, in whom there is no limit to his power whatsoever, was nailed powerless to a cross. That Jesus, who freed this this demon-possessed man so that he could go out and be free, was nailed to a cross like a slave. Why? To intervene, to reclaim us, to end our winter, to end our helplessness, to take our helpless estate and bring us salvation. Let him rescue you. Let him free you. Let him take this world that is, is your world, which is in, in chains and break them free and let you enter into a new life. 
that you and I could sing the words of Charles Wesley, long my imprisoned spirit lay, bound by sin and nature at night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I woke my dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off, my heart set free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. Return to your home and declare all that God has done for you.